from the news and talk to one of the brightest minds with regard to family life and especially raising children in America. And as a result of his being so insightful, I'm going to ask him this. I wonder how many allies he has in the field of psychology. And he's been on the show a number of times. He has a pre-university video out, How to Get Kids to Listen. Got a million and a half views in, uh, in, in four days. John Rosemont is a renowned family psychologist. And, John, welcome back to the Dennis Prager Show. Well, it's a pleasure to be back, Dennis. Thank you so much for the invitation. Well, I, I want to ask you the, the question that I said I would. How, uh, how many, I'll put it this way. Obviously, there's no scientific answer. I, everyone understands that. In, 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 uh, on a, and just an intelligent estimate, what percentage of psychologists would agree with you in, in overall in your way of raising children? Oh, less than 1%. Wow, I thought you would say five. <laughs> well, I would like to say five. Oh, my God. <laughs> there, you know, there's no indication that um, the uh, field of psychology is coming around at all to a uh, what I would consider a sensible point of view concerning children and their upbringing. So I, uh, unfortunately, with reluctance... Uh, uh, no hubris whatsoever. Say less than one percent. All right, I'm gonna. I want to go further then in this uh, in this line of questioning. In the 1940s, and, and you you would not know this from personal from your life, but knowing to any extent the history of the U.S. and of your field and the attitudes towards raising children. In the 1940s, how many psychologists do you think would have, would have agreed with you? Well, um, probably, probably 80 to 90 percent um, back then. And, and that's just a guesstimate. Now, and we're all, it's all, I understand that. So when did the so this is amazing, from 80 to 90 percent to less than 1 percent in, uh, let's say, from 1950, so that's uh, in 65 years. When did the great break take place? took place in 1965 uh, with the publication of a book by a Manhattan psychologist named Chaim Gannat. And uh, it was Gannat that set uh, Nouveau, uh, what I sometimes refer to as socialist egalitarian parenting in motion. Is that, was that a term that he would use? No, uh, he would call it proper parenting. <laughs> right, right, I see. Yeah. Boy, you know, I thought you were going to say Dr. Spock, Benjamin Spock. You know, Spock, Dennis, was pretty much of a traditionalist, if you go back and read, at least in the beginning. If you go back and read his, uh, the, the first edition of the Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care, um, he's real, in the first place, he's really not writing a parenting book as we would conceive of it today. Um, 
he's talking more about pediatric issues like how to take your child's temperature and tell the difference between roseal and measles and whether to breastfeed or bottle feed and so on and so forth. I went through the entire pocketbook edition that my mother bought when I was born and bequeathed to me eventually upon the birth of our first child, in fact. And um, I noted the number of paragraphs that he devoted to behavioral issues, disciplinary issues. In a 300-page book, it was 13 pages. And in that 13 pages, Spock really reflected pretty much the attitude of the times. He was not a radical by any means. He's, uh, he's not deserving of a reputation along those lines. Now, during the Vietnam War, um, he did become radicalized. And um, he, uh, because of his association with political radicals, I think was influenced to move to the, what I would call the left in his parenting advice. So in the late 60s, he got caught up in the uh, permissive, nouveau, egalitarian, touchy-feely parenting movement that was emerging at that time. Well, how do you spell Gannot's name? G-I-N-O-T-T, -I, I believe. H-A-I-M, Chaim, as you Yeah, know. right. Uh, Gannot. G-I-N-O-T-T. -T. I believe so. I believe it's two T's. Right. I would, uh, it is, you're right. So he, let's see, he lived, so he, uh, he lived from 1922 to 1973. And, uh, so was the book between, was it between parent and child? Is that, uh, or yes. just this whole series of books? And, and he was very popular? Well, his book became a bestseller. It, it did. was really the first parenting uh -huh. book uh -huh. that was a bestseller, and as a consequence of that, publishers began beating the mental health bushes looking for people who would capitalize and expand on that theme. Fascinating. And the essence of it was this egalitarian, non-authoritarian parent? Well, Gennad's book was really, uh, it, it was groundbreaking because it uh, emphasized the need to properly understand, interpret, and respond to a child's feeling state. I got it. So the and, difference is, forgive yeah. me one second, so for the sake mm -hmm. of my listeners, to get this sort of shorthand, so in my, in Pregarian terms, we went from behaviorist, a behaviorist approach to raising children, to a therapeutic approach. Well, we went from a character based approach to a therapeutic That's even approach. better. Yeah, we That's went, better. We yeah. went from an approach that was really rooted in biblical understandings. And, um, uh, for example, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 is very clear. The instruction is to build character in your children. And uh, what happened was that we made a rather abrupt and radical departure from those understandings and uh, and set off down to use uh, Robert Frost's uh, famous line in his famous poem, we set down the road never traveled. And indeed it has made all the difference. The mental health of the American child today is uh, statistically 10 times worse than it was in the 1950s and early 1960s. 
I keep saying this to my audiences around the country that look, we've been listening to mental health professionals tell us how to raise children for 52 years and the mental health of the American child has been in a state of free fall during that time and it is time for us to get it and understand that these people as well-intentioned as they might be have been giving very bad advice and there is no indication that they're about to start giving good advice and uh, they're because psychology Dennis is an ideology and ideologists don't change their position because they're not intellectually honest people and um, so uh, you know this is my message around the country we know how to raise children properly or we used to and what we need to do is understand what those people were doing understand their attitude more than understand their methods and uh, and we need a retro parenting revolution in this country I've seen the two this the renowned family psychologist John Rosemond. He has, doesn't he have another course as well? Yeah, vitamin N. You have two courses up at Prague University. The vitamin N, which uh, I, I always thought was, was just a genius phrase. Vitamin N, for those of you who don't know, is the word no. Vitamin N is the word no. It is the most important vitamin your child can, in fact, take in outside of necessary nutrients to live. And it is not done. Uh, your understanding of this stuff, I mean, the, la the latest video, my friends, anyone who is raising a child or anyone who knows anyone who is raising a child should see it, how to get kids to listen. We're going to talk about this. I, I wanted the evolution of his profession to be laid out before you, which he did. Now the question is, why did the word obedient become a dirty word? You are listening to John Rosemond, the renowned psychologist, who has, I think, a brilliant insights into raising children. And uh, let's see. This is, I, I, you know what? I have so many questions for you, but I want you to take a couple of calls. This is because uh, I have a very interesting uh, group up here, including people who used Gannat and who liked him. But uh, first, I want to get to this psychologist in San Antonio, Texas. Hello, Scott. You're on with Dr. John Rosemond and Dennis Prager. Hi. Hi. Uh, so my my question is, is related to uh, what what, uh, what your guest said about the, the sort of one percent of psychologists who agree with them. So I'm I'm 45 this year. Psychology is kind of a second career for me. I got my PhD and my license about seven years ago. But I uh, I'm an Orthodox Christian and I agree with uh, with your caller or with your guest on pretty much everything. Um, my colleagues think that I'm crazy. They think that I they can't believe that I passed the licensing exam or that I got my PhD or anything else. Um, and I'm so alienated with this group of folks. I'm not even a member of the APA because I just can't stand their politics. I can't, you know, deal with it. My question is, what do we do to create this this psychology of character? As he put, I forget what he said exactly. Yes, character. Because, you know, I understand the process. I understand children. I understand their psychology. I get it. But that doesn't change the fact that character is is the should be the final goal of, of parenting. Um, so what, what are the marching orders from Dr. Rosemont <laughs> for somebody like me? That's great. Plus you. Thank you. John? Well, Scott, I, I you know, just, 
<laughs> uh, just keep on fighting the good fight. I mean, I, I don't. There's no battle plan. I, I just uh, wake up every day and uh, realize that uh, this is my purpose and uh, God assigned, if you will, and um, that. Uh, Whatever opportunity to pre presents itself uh, to help people understand that psychology is not providing us good guidance, in my estimation, not just in parenting, but in any life area. There, there's no indication whatsoever that um, the profession of psychology has improved the lot of the American citizen. There's no compelling evidence that therapy of any kind reliably works. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm so far out on the limb, if you will, Dennis and Scott, that I don't, and I am a psychologist. I mean, I'm licensed by the North Carolina Psychology Board. I do not believe that uh, psychology really qualifies as a restricted profession. Uh, there are basically no practice standards. Anything goes. Uh, and, uh, I, but as I said before, it's a, a pseudoscience. Uh, it's an ideology that masquerades as a science. And, uh, it's really driven more by ideological concerns, if you will, than by research. In fact, uh, clinicians, if they, uh, don't like uh, the research, they ignore it. They don't incorporate it. They just ignore it. Any examples come to mind? Well, self-esteem research. The self-esteem research was clear as long as 20 to 25 years ago that high self-esteem was associated with uh, social pathologies. And yet uh, the profession of psychology continued to promote it and uh, promoted as if specifically to our topic, it was the brass ring of childhood. I am proud to say that within a year of the self-esteem movement beginning, I wrote a piece that it was a, a moral and intellectual fraud. And so it's, pr it's printed. It's actually printed. I, and I'm not a psychologist. It, it doesn't take a psychologist to realize this. In fact, your theory really is it takes a psychologist to believe it. Exactly, Dennis. Yeah. It takes graduate school indoctrination into that propaganda system to believe it. Yeah. Uh, let me get a defender of Gannat here so that uh, we, we hear, uh, so to speak, all, all, uh, all sides. Uh, Beverly in Minneapolis, you're on with John Rosemond and Dennis Prager. Hi. 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 Um, actually, I like, I have read John Rosemond's book and I like what he says, but I, I have also raised my children um, reading Heinz and not, and especially the two uh, women who made practical uh, his work in a book called How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. I imagine, John Roseman, you're familiar with that. Yes, I am. Elaine Farber, I think, or okay. Faber, either okay. one of the other. I, I, yeah. found, okay. I, I grew up and, and was raising my children saying, you know, they would say, um, I don't need a jacket, you know, I'm not cold. And I would say, yes, you need to wear a jacket, because I said so. And, 
you know, if they would come home and say they got in trouble, I'd say, well, you know, you probably did something, you know, wrong, which was probably true. But in in hind, they're not, uh, you know, he would say, listen to the child, and then the kid is discouraged instead of saying, um, you know, it's your own fault, which is what I got as a child. Yeah. All right, hold on there, because I, I, because of time factors. Want to just respond, John? Yeah, well, uh, you know, what, what Beverly is uh, talking about is the emphasis on holding children accountable for their behavior. And I don't uh, uh, dispute that uh, Gannat, and in fact all of these uh, nouveau uh, self-appointed experts um, would have said that. Um, however, when the rubber hit the road, they didn't really mean that. And uh, what I was saying, furthermore, Beverly and Dennis, was that Gannat legitimized the feeling state, the emotional state of the child, and made it, to repeat myself, appear as though good parenting was all about properly understanding and properly re responding to the child's feeling state. Which All right, hold on there, John, if you would. John Rosemond uh, is my guest on Raising Children and the Obedience Issue. Is it a dirty word? Coming up. Is right or 99% of psychologists are right? If he's right, virtually every psychologist is wrong. And uh, if, uh, if they're all right, then I'm wrong for having them on the show. <laughs> I mean, I gotta, I gotta take responsibility. But I, I have to. John Rosemont is a renowned family psychologist. Number of videos at Prague University. The latest being how to get kids to listen. And uh, by the way, why don't we just name one of your? Well, what book would you like people to be introduced to you with? Oh gosh, um, Parenting by the Book, which is uh, biblically based. Um, primarily what we Christians call Old Testament. Um, the Well-Behaved Child is another one. They're all brilliant, you know, Dennis. They are all brilliant, as it happens. <laughs> you know, it is interesting, and, and then I want to get to the obedience issue, that the, uh, when you say biblically based, of course, it turns me on, because I think it's the wisest the book ever written, but uh, to give people an idea of how powerful the brainwash has been, almost anyone who has attended college, hearing that anything is biblically based, would immediately have not only a negative reaction, but worse, a contemptuous reaction. What, uh, what a fool to take the Bible as his guideline for raising children. And it's so interesting because they would dismiss a 3,000-year book that has uh, proven its worth uh, and created Western civilization. And in favor of that, the latest study, uh, the word study has now a biblical sound to it, to, uh, to the secular. So it's just that you don't even have to comment. I'm just saying that uh, as soon as you say biblically based, I know, I know how people are trained to react. But let's get to uh, the latest of your uh, videos and thoughts. You, uh, it's about how to raise an obedient child, and 
uh, I, I read it, of course, when you, when you submitted it, and then, of course, saw it, and it's phenomenal. And, uh, however, I know that it scares people beyond words, alienates people even, the word obedient. How to make an obedient child scares people. Why? Well, because we have inherited the parenting memes that were dispersed throughout culture in the 1960s, and um, more than just parenting memes, the, the cultural memes, one of which was that obedience is a bad thing. What uh, most of your listeners probably, uh, Dennis, don't understand because they, they weren't there. Um, they weren't old enough if they were there physically to really understand what was going on. I'm referring to the 1960s as that one of the undercurrents of the 1960s involved the demonization of authority. And wherever authority was found, the new radical left uh, began to demonize it. Uh, military authority, political authority, corporate authority, and police authority. Uh, police authority. Uh, it, any form of traditional authority was demonized by the radical left in the 1960s, and we have late 1960s, and we have, in the year 2017, we have inherited this, and we don't realize what we have inherited, but uh, in 1970 and 1971, two parenting books that were extremely influential, um, Parent Effectiveness Training by psychologist Thomas Gordon and Your Child's Self-Esteem by one of his acolytes, Dorothy Briggs, were published, both of which claimed without any evidence whatsoever, and this is what I mean by an ideology, no evidence whatsoever, uh, claimed that the traditional use of parental authority was psychologically damaging to children. And from this, we now have uh, parents bending over when they speak to their children in pleading uh, syncophatic positions that look like they're one movement away from being down on their knees in front of the king. We have parents pleading with their children. We have parents telling me that uh, they want their children to cooperate. And I say, no, you don't. You want your children to obey. Well, what's the difference, John? Well, cooperate. All right, hold on. We'll get the difference in a moment. I'm going to take. We've got to take a break here. John Rosemond is my guest. The, the, these words need to be memorized by parents. To just remember that. All right, back in a moment. First, psychologist John Rosemond has the answer just in time for Father's Day. See it at PragerU.com, where we teach what isn't taught. I have John Rosemond on. This show, as you know, talks about everything in life. We do a lot of politics, but we're not 24-7 politics. How to raise your child is a pretty important subject. And I'll tell you something, folks. The politics of this country would be utterly different if we raised children with character first instead of self-esteem first. You want a solution to uh, the political problems of the country? Raise decent children. That's, that's the biggest single solution that uh, we can actually engage in. So in some real sense, is a very political hour. <laughs> You're talking about the difference, John Rosebaum, again, family psychologist. 
you're talking about the difference between cooperate and obey. The language is so language is so important, and the language here is so important. Parents want their kids to, to cooperate. In the video, you have a very powerful uh, idea that you mentioned earlier as well, and that is parents bending down to their kid to talk to them. And what what does that symbolize? It symbolizes that the relationship is uh, one of uh, of equals, and this is uh, part and parcel of the the new parenting movement that arose in the late 1960s. That um, that the parent and the child were equal. The family should be democratic from as early as the age of two, when the child began to speak. The child should be included in family discussions and his voice should be heard and counted when it came to making decisions like where do we go to dinner and uh, where do we go on vacation and what time should my bedtime be. And um, so today's parents uh, refer to, they use the word cooperation more than they use the word obedience. And I, I will dare say that I talk to more parents about child-rearing issues on a yearly basis than any other person in the United States, and it's been that way for probably 30 years. And um, what I point out to them is that, no, you want obedience. And you want obedience not for your sake, but for your child's sake. But let's examine the difference. Cooperation is something that is possible between two peers who respect one another. You're, you are not a peer to your child. Your child needs you in his life to be a superior being. That is essential to his sense of security, to his sense of well-being, that you be the superior in the relationship for his sake. And as proof of that, the impeccable research done by Diana Baumrind at the University of California, Berkeley, um, has, uh, without equivocation, proven that the happiest children are also the most obedient and vice versa. And when I say to my audiences, you have never known a disobedient child who acted like he was truly a happy camper, uh, there's this uh, immediate jolt of recognition. And I say you, there are conveniences that come to the parent that accrue to the parent as a result of having an obedient child. But in the final analysis, this is all about your child. This is all about your child's psychological well-being and his ability to um, not only be a happy person, but ultimately to have compassion for other human beings. I, I'm telling you, listening to you is like you know, drinking some fine wine. And I'm not even I'm not even a lover of wine, but I, I Well Dennis, the feeling is mutual. Well it's very kind of you. Thank you sir. Oh thank you, sir. But it it really is uh, and I I'm sitting here somewhat pained on two grounds. One is that so many uh, the the vast majority of children in America have not been raised the way you're speaking. And the other is that not everybody hears you. Needless to say, you are widely heard. But I want everybody to hear what you're saying. This, uh, uh, this, just look at, just to isolate one thing you just said. Show me a happy, disobedient child. 
That is so powerful. When you said there was a jolt of recognition uh, in, uh, in an audience of therapists, that's what parents need to understand. Even if they're just out for a happy child, disobedience is the ro is the royal road to unhappiness. Mm -hmm. You you were talking earlier about uh, politics, and I was talking earlier about um, the uh, legitimization of the emotional state of the child, the, uh, the psychological drumbeat to the effect that your child's emotions contain meaning and you need to significant meaning and parents need to understand this meaning and need to uh, respond appropriately to this meaning. Um, this is why this emphasis on the legitimacy of children's feelings, this in my estimation is significant, Dennis, to an understanding of what is going on on America's college campuses today. That uh, these are kids who cannot think straight because they have never been, tr their, their emotions have never, their parents did not teach them to restrain their emotions. You and I grew up during a time when our parents taught us to restrain our emotions. And the Bible says that emotions are, are potentially evil. And uh, this is what's happening in America today. And this is... Um, I think it's actually the root of it. It's, feeling, yeah. it's feelings-based versus mind-based. Uh, the war, the culture war, or what I call the civil war, is that's one way of putting our, our feelings paramount. That's that's everything. It's everything. John Rosemond is my guest. Uh, the uh, you know a kid, I, when my older son was two, a kid who was five threw him down in the park. Just walked over and threw him down. His mother ran over to him, and and uh, you know the kid. I mean, it was a, it was an act of utter total malice. And the mother ran over to him and said, "What's troubling you?" That's, that's, that's it in a nutshell. John Rosemont, my guest. Final segment coming up on the Dennis Prager Show. Do you have your 401k placed where you are guaranteed protection against the highs and lows of our cyclical economy? It's time to protect yourself, and I'd like to tell you how. Gold Co. Precious Metals, gold and silver alike. As we all know too well, there are constant changes in our government and the well-being of our economy. So we have to ensure our money is stable and secure, and more and more Americans are turning to gold IRAs because they combine the time-tested security of a physical asset with the modern tax-advantaged features of an individual IRA. My friends at Gold Co., these are quite uh, remarkable people, are trained to help you take the next steps to financial security. I did the same. I trust them. The market will change that we know. Precious metals are a solid way to diversify your assets and protect your retirement. Get a free IRA guide by filling out a simple form at PragerGold.com. No obligation. Go to PragerGold.com today to ensure your tomorrow. That's Dennis Prager here. I can talk to Jeroz Rosemont. I really do. I believe it. I wonder what the Guinness Book of Records longest dialogue uh, with uh, which you know would include every so often a, uh, a break for the men's room but uh, but the, with it not allowing sleep I think you and I might be able to uh, qualify there I, I, I could talk to you for that long 